Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our TOSIG Phase 1 and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined again by Dr. Raul Tendelkar, an Associate Professor of Radiation Oncology, and Dr. Michael Catan, Chair of the Department of Quantitative Health Sciences. Raul has previously joined me on the Cancer Advances podcast to talk about PSMA PET scans for patients with prostate cancer, and this episode is still available. Today, they're here to talk to us about nomograms for prostate and breast cancer. So, welcome, Raul. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, maybe to start out, um, Raul, remind us your role here at Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, so I'm a radiation oncologist, uh, as mentioned, specializing in, in breast and GU cancers, primarily uh, prostate cancers, where I treat with radiation therapy. Very good. Michael, what do you do here? Uh, chair of the Department of Quantitative Health Sciences. That's a department of about 120 biostatisticians, health services researchers, bioinformatics types, mostly all the quants in research are in this department. Very good. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about nomograms. And so maybe to start out, we have a diverse uh, group of people. Maybe you can tell us a little bit, what is a nomogram? So a nomogram is a way of uh, depicting a prediction model on a sheet of paper or visually. So a lot of times when we're working with investigators like Dr. Tindlekar and you, we are coming up with prediction models to help you in the clinic to predict probabilities of future events that you care about to take better care of your patients. A lot of times when we make those models with you, we're making regression models. Cox regression is a very popular and common tool that we'll build for you, or logistic regression, same thing. Those models, though, are, are confusing. They're not user-friendly uh, in terms of the coefficients that are behind them. But if we display that model as a nomogram, then you as a clinician can see exactly what's going on, which variables have influence, which don't, and, and exactly how much influence each predictor in the model has. Nomograms, uh, most people don't immediately think of them. How did you get into nomograms? Right. So when I was 24, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, and my only symptom was night sweats, and I didn't have any other uh, complaint, and ultimately found out I was stage 4B. And uh, so it was confusing to me as to what my prognosis was, and that really opened my eyes to how clumsy, if you will, uh, our ability is to predict patient outcome at the individual level. It was very crude. My, my oncologist uh, who I was treated elsewhere was really just going purely by clinical stage and not taking into account other features about me. And that frustrated me because I was getting a degree in the business school, which was all about financial prediction, where uh, you make money if you predict very accurately, and that's your goal. And uh, over here, it just felt very different. Like we didn't give enough attention to the art and science of prediction. And um, I really wanted to do a better job with that. And I, I looked around and to me, the nomogram made the best sense in terms of preserving information uh, and enabling the clinician to take everything he or she knows about the patient and put that together in one model that, that is optimized for prediction. And that's really what a nomogram does. That's excellent. So Raul, I'm... I'm guessing you could confirm that most patients come in and they want this kind of information, right? Absolutely, and and I'm I'm still, um, you know, blown away at how many um, people have been influenced by Dr. Catan's own personal experience, which translated into his 
development of nomograms across, you know, multitude of uh, disease uh, sites. I think, you know, kind of the, the serendipity of all of those things happening has, has led to really, a, I think, uh, uh, a huge change in how we approach patients. Because as you said, you know, we're so used in, in oncology, we're so used to um, lumping uh, into buckets based on stage but we really lose out on the personalization aspect of that. And, and that's been a you know big personal interest of mine for the exact reason that you bring up, that patients come in with a new diagnosis and they want to know what are my chances, not, you know, what is the larger groups, you know, but specific to me based on this feature or that feature, what are my chances of success and what do I need to do to get there? And so these nomograms, you know, we, we use on a regular basis in our clinics to try to help patients yeah, you're absolutely right. It was kind of one of these aha moments for you that really did change the field. So it, it's been a big deal. To, to give us an example, Raul, if a patient comes in, how do you use this in a very practical way? Like what, what are the factors you're thinking about? Let's kind of think more of a very practical way. What, how do we use it? So I think, and I want to ask Mike this question before I, before I get to that. How many, you know, people talk about the Catan nomogram. How many actual Catan nomograms are there that <laughs> we're talking about? The nomogram. Right. Yeah, it's, 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 cool. not, it's, it's not the nomogram. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't come up with my own marketing plan. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it's served me quite well. Uh, gosh, I, I, I mean, across any and all diseases, I, there might be a hundred yeah. nomograms I've made or something. Uh, they're probably talking about the preoperative nomogram for prostate cancer, the, that one, which kind of started a lot of things when they say that, but you never know. It's kind of fun. <laughs> so, so for example, because, uh, you know, this is one where people talk about the Catan nomogram and I say, well, which one? Yeah. Um, so the, the ones that I've personally, you know, found to be useful and, and ones that, you know, we've developed here, for example, um, you know, we see a patient who's had uh, prostate cancer, they've had their prostate removed and, uh, based on various pathology features, for example, was there extra prostatic extension or seminal vesicle invasion? What were the surgical margin status? What's the PSA afterwards and the rate at which it's changing? And so you look at all of these variables and um, you know you can have a success rate with salvage radiation ranging from maybe 20% at the low end to 80 or 90% at the high end, depending on you know which features each individual patient has. And so we use it in ways to intensify treatment for those who may have an otherwise poorer prognosis and perhaps to de-intensify treatment in those who are going to be, you know, successfully treated with, uh, you know, limited uh, uh, treatment options. And so it's really kind of helpful to try to personalize our care. And so Mike, you mentioned this being like a two-dimensional way to, to assess yeah. risk. So, um, you know, we live in a smartphone phone right. era and computers right. and all that. So we're not normally pulling out pieces of paper. So yeah. how does that translate into our ability to, to use this? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because the, and I'm guilty of it too, the, the nomogram term, strictly speaking, applies to the visual on the piece of paper, but it gets kind of uh, morphed into basically a kind of a comprehensive prediction model, an equation, which is underneath the hood of the thing. So you should, you could take the equation and show it on a sheet of paper. You could also make a smartphone app, you could put it directly into your electronic health record system. And so it just automatically runs. And so we're always looking for ways to make you more efficient. I, I'm trying to dive into areas where you folks struggle with, with decisions. Those are the fun ones for me. If you're in a no brainer situation where you're going to treat this patient like so-and-so and 
you don't really need a prediction to guide you on that. You probably don't need an omogram very much for, for that. But ones where it's where it's controversial, I should say, and you don't know whether to do A or B, and there's counter arguments and all this stuff. That's where I like to give you tools to, to take the prediction part out of it so that you're not basically fighting about predictions. You're, you're more fighting about the outcomes that are at stake and how important they are and how much the patient cares about them and involving the patient in that and just get, get the math off of your plate so you don't have to mess with that. I will come clean and I, I still fondly remember getting the piece of paper and the ruler and actually doing it old school. And I, I kind of miss that somehow. <laughs> yeah. I, I really appreciate that all the risk calculators are on online, right? Uh, yeah. So we have a free website. It's rcalc, that's R-C-A-L-C dot C-C-F dot O-R-G. Uh, all the risk calculators that I've ever worked on are up there um, and they're free. Uh, they're, they're not always pretty or, you know, they're, they're meant for a clinician audience, so they don't hold your hand. They're meant for you who knows exactly what you're trying to find and because they, uh, they're, they're not as patient friendly as the ones I had made before, but they're up there. They're free. And, and I've been using these for years yeah, in the clinic, uh, specifically for these exact situations where, um, you know, there's controversy about how to treat right. somebody. And we say, okay, look, if we just treat you with radiation, for example, this is the odds of success. If we add hormonal therapy to the mix, that might increase by this percent, you know, and it's not, you know, hundred percent with all due respect, it's not hundred percent accurate, but it's going to give us in the right ballpark, right. In terms of, you know, orders of magnitude, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, how much difference a treatment intensification can make. Patients truly do appreciate that sort of more granular approach to, to risk. Yeah. I, sh I was desperate for it and I couldn't get that when I was, you know, I had to make my decision. You don't have, you can't say, well, come back and we'll do more research. It's like, well, no, I, I think I have to get treated now, if I'm going to do this, and uh, so we need we need more of these, and that's what I want to know is what's missing from the website. What tools would you guys like to have out there that we don't have yet? Uh, and I rely every one of these is is co-authored with some clinician here or elsewhere, and who's driving the thing. I would, Mike, it would really help me if you could predict such and such type of an outcome in a patient with so and so treated with such and such. And I, I need to know what those are to help you. Gotcha. Now. Now, just um, from a very practical standpoint, when you go to build the nomograms, mm -hmm. uh, you know, oftentimes you're trying to answer questions that we really don't know what the standard is. And we're trying to, to that's maybe one of the questions. What, where do you draw upon the data? Yeah. So a lot of the data we, we pull from here, um, you know, it's a, it's a high volume institution and I can get my hands on it very quickly. And so that's, that's pretty low hanging fruit if we have the patient volume here, but otherwise, if, if you have a common goal in mind where you're trying to predict an important outcome and, and I don't have, uh, you know, an ax to grind here because I'm not, a, I don't treat patients any particular way. I don't really care what the answer is. And it's pretty, people are pretty generous in terms of sending data sets and things like that and collaborating. And, and it's uh, surprisingly easy. And um, that's one of the things that led me to here was uh, the low friction to collaborate with Cleveland Clinic. It was striking. I mean, I guess uh, part of what Mike was talking about, sort of these unanswered questions. Are, are there things where, uh, Raul, you've you've seen clinical utility of a nomogram, and are there still areas you like? If only I knew. Mm -hmm. And patients ask. I mean, is there are there examples you can think of where a nomogram might? Uh, you know, we're setting Mike off to get busy here. Oh, um, oh absolutely. <laughs> what, what are some unmet needs in nomograms in prostate cancer? So, you know, in in my personal areas of prostate cancer and breast cancer, these are two that are very common in, in the community, um, in our population. You know, one uh, out of every, you know, six to eight 
uh, men or women will get uh, one of these diagnoses in their lifetime. And, um, you know, so we've, we've really had a number of nomograms in the, in the prostate cancer world, which has been really helpful over the years and, and how I, I think um, Mike uh, became famous and was uh, recruited here uh, to help uh, uh, establish our, our QHS program. Um, in, in the breast cancer world, we recently published a nomogram. Uh, Sarah Sittenfeld, one of our former residents, was the first author. Uh, Emily Zabor, one of the statisticians here, did a terrific job. In women with you know, node positive breast cancer after a mastectomy, um, which patients need radiation afterwards and what's the magnitude of benefit? Because there's such a, again, a wide variability in the uh, prognosis of these patients. And so again, which patients need more aggressive treatment and which don't. So we pooled data from five institutions uh, across North America, and it's the largest uh, data set uh, published, I think, in the literature, you know, to date on this uh, subject. Um, specifically, you know, this project was designed to answer that question that you posed, which is, you know, how do we better estimate which patients are going to benefit from from more aggressive treatment. So this just got published uh, last month and the calculator is up and running. And so I hope people use it and find it useful. That's great. Oftentimes when people aren't using nomograms, they're trying to estimate based on a clinical stage, a pathologic stage, a risk group, something like that. Are there areas where those are more effective than nomograms? Are there, what, what, what kind of limitations are there with nomograms? Well, I'll go first because uh, <laughs> this is not going to be a popular answer, but I've done several uh, comparisons of clinicians against uh, tools that I've either made or selected and uh, happy to say I'm undefeated because <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the ultimate way to sell the tool is because you'll get pushback because some, anyone can look at a tool and criticize it. Oh, it's missing the such and such predictor, which we all know is the best predictor out there, and you don't have it in your tool. Or I see the nomogram, it, it gets this many points for PSA. That can't be right. This thing is fundamentally flawed. And, you know, and so, if, but if you do a head to head comparison with clinical judgment on a data sheet of patients, and, and I get your predictions and I go against the tool, any tool will uniformly, unfortunately, or fortunately win in terms of a predictive accuracy setting. In, in the studies that I've seen. Now, some of them have been pretty close, but it's it, it's a human being problem. It's just very hard for, for a human to take all these pieces of information and perfectly weight them in our heads. And we, we have biases and it's, it's it happens with attorneys and accountants and whoever it is in a situation where you need to predict like that. It's just very hard to do. And so we, we fall on these very easy user-friendly things to do, like counting risk factors. How I many, oh, the patient's got three risk factors. So that's worse than a patient with two risk factors, but is that necessarily high risk? You know, th these are some, some problems with some other approaches that we, that we have always fallen back on. And if you really want a predicted probability, then a model is, is really the only way to go. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, as oncologists, we're so used to staging uh, patients and, and their cancers into certain um, bins, uh, based on these factors. And, you know, that's, I think, useful when, you know, for example, enrolling patients on a clinical trial, right? They should have a stage three to be eligible for this trial. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, I think, useful in that regard to, to kind of bin similar patients together um, for those purposes. 
but you know, staging is otherwise not as helpful for individual prognosis and estimations and things like that. Um, and you know, interestingly, the the latest version of the breast cancer staging manual is like four pages for, for breast cancer staging. It's no longer something that you could memorize uh, based on their T and M status and ERPR and HER2 receptor status. And so it's almost like they've created a four page nomogram, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so like Makes it's board recertification easier. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that's, that's a great example of where, you know, I think a nomogram would probably be a more useful tool, you know, than trying to memorize a, a four page uh, staging section. It's the, it's the staging system that really just pushed me over the edge because when I was a 4B, I remember vividly in the waiting room at, at MD Anderson and I was next to a uh, this older lady who I was sitting in the waiting room with and she was also a stage 4B Hodgkin's disease patient. Now she was every bit of 90, confined to a wheelchair on an oxygen tank and I'm playing basketball every day. I just sweat at night. That's that's all I got going on. And and we have the same oncologist. So I talked to him about it and I said, I was out there with, uh, we'll call her Betty. And, and uh, you know, you told me to look at the staging at the Merck manual for, for my prognosis last time. And so you told Betty the same thing you tell me? Do we have the same chances of five-year survival? Is that what I'm led to understand? And then there's lots of backpedaling and hand gesturing. And, and that's when I had had enough. Interesting. Well, clearly nomograms are helpful. I mean, you know, your track record speaks for itself. Um, has revolutionized how we treat prostate cancer, breast cancer, many other diseases. Um, what's next? Is there is there like a is there a, a nomogram plus? Is there is there another kind of tool we can do? Other things we can incorporate we're not currently doing. So you know, like the AJCC is getting more friendly with allowing prediction tools in the staging manual. And there's this way to get kind of certification and has to meet certain characteristics. And, and I thought that was a big step to being able to open the door to to these models that could creep into more directly, I think, into into patient care. Because I, I think if you step back and say, well, what 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 is the goal of a staging system in the first place? And I, I actually don't know the answer to this, but I, I feel like it might be to predict. I don't know about that. But if it is to predict, then why don't we predict as as accurately as we can? If that's really the goal, is that how you should be doing? I know we've always done it that way. So, so where's this going to go? I, I think ideally, what I would love for you folks to have is just built into your EMR um, tools that run uh, behind the scenes without any extra work from you. You may or may not use the predictions for every patient or whatever, but if, if you need the prediction, you just look over there and you say, okay, well, that's good to know. And, and I have these things automated. There's not the extra work. And we're always giving you the most accurate predictions we can for what we think is going to happen as a consequence of what you select for the patient. And so I would really like to see, see us get further along the lines. I think to date as many of these, you know, paper-based nomograms, if I've, as I've worked on, I, th I have a three that are running an Epic right now that, that, and, and it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, uh, but, but it's, it's technically possible, but it, it, it it's a, it's not a trivial matter. So it'd be nice if the barrier to entry could come down over time. And I guess just uh, from a, a logistics standpoint, like Raul, you use these, you treat patients that these are important. So much like you said, you know, you can't necessarily, you know, in, in your mind, think of all these factors, but 
you're familiar enough with the nomograms, you don't have to because you've seen enough patients and you are familiar with the nomogram predictions. That's pretty accurate. You don't necessarily need to open the nomogram for every patient because you, you've kind of built in kind of what it's going to be telling you for most patients. Yeah. I mean, I think that every patient has sort of different um, philosophies on how much information they want to know. And for those who want really detailed individualized estimates, you, you know, you got to pull up the nomogram, you know, go to the website and it's, it's very helpful to do that. And so, you know, I think integrating them more into the EMR can be really helpful. Um, so you don't have to you know, pull it up separately or something like that. But, um, but I think, you know, the way that the website is designed right now is, is really, really helpful. And I use it all the time. We've, we've started to add a few more features in where with some kind of emerging uh, novel tests that you might not order on every patient or they might, whatever reason you can't get them to show you what the prediction might be if you get that test. So without the test, here's the predicted probability of such and such outcome for this patient if you go and get this test, it might change it to this or to that. And what's the range? And then you can look at that and say, well, if it's really just bumping it a little bit and it's within the same area, then I don't really need to know whether it's 40 or 51. But if I order the test and it drops it to five or raises it to 92, that's interesting information. And that's the model based. That's not the only, that's after factoring into the model. Right. Then that's a whopping thing. And you might want to go chase that down and see if we can't get that. And then I guess the way we think about a lot of tumors has changed dramatically. And I guess that might lead to a need to think about nomograms as well. So you think about lung cancer, for instance, it's no longer non-small cell lung cancer. Now it's, it's, it's histology and genomic based. Mm -hmm. And so it's really like a collection of rare diseases almost. Interesting. And I'm, I'm guessing that some of those things could be worked into nomograms for mm -hmm. yeah. better predictive power. I, I think as uh, we learn more about genomics, we're going to keep this guy uh, busy over yeah. the years because heretofore, all of the nomograms we have are based largely on clinical or pathologic factors. Um, and you know, if you can plug in a genomic classifier score, for example, in addition to the clinical features that we already know about, you know, that, that's just going to improve our ability to prognosticate, I think. Well, great insights on nomograms and how we can use them clinically, guys. Appreciate you being with us. Thanks. Thanks for having us. To make a direct online referral to our Tossig Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.